following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. I've been a youth pastor. I love youth ministry. I love youth pastors. At times, however, it sounds like when you hear from, read books or even hear youth pastors talk, sometimes they seem to be saying, if the parents just left their kids to us, why we raise them up to be Apostle Pauls. And can I tell you, even if that were somewhat true, that is not in line with the scripture. See, what that youth pastor was doing or that youth leader was doing was this. She was failing to recognize that her role was a support role and that mom and dad and parents, the father in particular, are the ones that God has given the task of making disciples of their children. We'll see that in our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to my church family, with my church family, in the word of God. I pray, Father, that you'd help me to, to be calm and, and not anxious as I preach this important topic. I pray, Father, that we would have ears that are receptive, that we might hear the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we find ourselves in the fourth and final in a series I've entitled Foundations. And it's been said that it takes a village to raise a child. And I would respond by saying yes, but it makes a family, takes a family to raise the village in the first place. And when we look at the world around us, we see that the foundations of society uh, are crumbling. They have been abandoned. And so we've looked at four of these things, one of which I never thought 10 years ago I would have to address, that there are only two genders, male and female. In the, in the beginning, God created us male and female. And those biological genders were also to be reflected in the fact that our clothing and, and our, our demeanor and our mannerisms were to explicitly reflect the fact that God had made us male and female. And then we looked at marriage, and there was only one type of marriage that God respects, and that is between one man and one woman. And then we looked at sexual uh, purity, and that from the Bible we see that God's will for us is that we have pure sex lives, and that sex between one man and one woman and the bonds of marriage is the only proper context for that to take place. Well, there's a building that's been taking place. Uh, we have gender, we have marriage, we have pure sexuality, and the fourth component is children because children are to be born inside of a marriage between one man and one woman. 
Now that's something that 10 years ago didn't probably need to be said a whole lot of different ways, but I would share with you that in the culture that we live in today, we see television shows that celebrate the idea that a single woman would go to uh, be, uh, uh, be fertilized medically so that she might have a child without having either a boyfriend or a, a husband. And what we see is that that is a picture of a culture that's abandoned the biblical foundation that God has designed families to be such that in the context of marriage is when sex takes place. And then from that marriage is where children are born. What do we do with a, in a case where that, like a woman were to go to a, a clinic to be fertilized? We still love the mom. We still love the child. But we also, as Christians, can't take the position that there isn't a standard that God has set. The moment we begin to try to qualify everything, it starts to lose the point. This series, I've labored to do the, my best to speak plainly but not ugly. Plainly but not ugly. And so to be plain spoken requires me not to qualify everything. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And usually when I am asking the question or thinking about questions that people might ask, what about this? What about that scenario? What I'm really doing when I want to respond is qualify everything. Because we don't want to be offensive. Well, I don't want to be offensive, but God has spoken, and I intend to speak plainly on these matters this morning. So let's think about children. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage or a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so anytime God gives something that is a blessing, there is an expectation upon us that we would steward that blessing to maximize it for our good, their good, and the good of others. Years ago, I had this thought as I worked with juveniles in lockdown that part of my goal as a parent will be to make sure that my children are stable because stable children grow up to be adults that are stable. This letter, which was to be read publicly, and he addresses the fathers and the children. Let's take a look. First thing I want you to see is that God expects children to honor their parents. Verse 1. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord means that they are Christians. Where it says there, this is right, I want to point something out. One of the things I do when I study a passage out is I'll translate it, and I'll do word studies, and I'll dissect everything that I can, and then I come to conclusions about what the text is saying. But then what I do is I actually read commentaries, and what I'm looking for is... Uh, have I missed something? Have I misinterpreted? Or if I'm disagreeing with such and such godly person who's as smarter, smarter than me, well, why, what is, what's his reasoning for taking a different interpretation? And I start looking at those things. One of the commentaries by a brilliant theologian named Frank Thielman, he was right, but I want to point something out. He wrote his book in 2010, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, where Paul writes, for this is right, it was widely assumed in the culture in which he wrote and where the people lived that it was widely assumed to be right that children were to obey their parents. And for children to not obey the parents in that culture was offensive. It would have been embarrassment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I preached that before, and I would tell you that two, 10 years later after I, that guy wrote it, I, I don't... The jury's out for me on this. Does our culture still expect children to obey their parents? I'm not sure about that. I'm not 100% sure about that. I want to leave the realm of opinion. I'll just simply say I'm not convinced. 
Because what, here's the thing that happens. When I watch cartoons that are produced for children, uh, I see what story they're telling. What is the moral of the story they're supposed to be telling? Can I tell you one of the frequent themes I see in the morals of the story? Kid grows up, he's raised in the family, but he doesn't want to follow the traditions of the family. So this hero or heroine of the story is the one who rejects and abandons what they were raised with. You want an example of Moana? Parents, you've probably seen it. She's the hero of the story because she rejects what she was raised with. But then the parents come along and they say, hey, no, the kids, we'll follow the kids' lead now. Ten years ago when they were starting to push green stuff on us, there was commercial and a blip on the radar for anybody who wasn't paying attention. They were trying to get us, to, us adults to go green. That's not a bad thing necessarily. But the commercial had a child teaching the parent about going green. What you have there is a, seems so simple, and I sound like a jerk for saying it. That is a reversal of the foundational order of society. When you have determined that children are to teach the parents, you've flipped it on its head. Could it be that that's why our culture partly is not doing well? I suggest to you that it most certainly is, and my, my mental jukebox goes up, and I'm, I'm hearing old songs, your mommy's all right, your daddy's all right, they just seem a little weird. The kids are all right. And then the follow-up by the offspring, the kids aren't all right. And they made a movie called The Kids Aren't All Right. But they're the ones that are leading the show now. But that's not the way the Bible talks. Children, get this. God expects Christian kids to heed, that is, obey, and listen to their parents. When he says, in the Lord, he's saying, because you're a Christian, the expectation is that you will obey your parents. This is part of being a Christian child. Whether or not the world around you says, uh, supports this idea that children are to obey their parents, kids, hear me loud and clear. So long as you live under mom and dad's house, God expects you to obey your parents. It does not matter as a child of God. If your world around you is telling you to disobey God, you as a Christian kid have to make a decision. Will I obey God or this world? That's the decision you have as young people. God gives authority to certain people for the good of all. We see this with parents, but I want to give you one other example. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Now, here's the thing you got to know. The authority figures, parents or government or whoever has authority, they will be held accountable by God for how they use that authority. But keep that in the back of your mind because it will come up again. For, uh, and those that exist, that is those authorities, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, that's government and that would include mom and dad, Resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, and I would say and parents, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What, what Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I'll just we'll pause it there. Kids, hear me loud and clear. Uh, God gives authority to certain people in your lives. Your parents are one of those. As an adult, I still have authority figures over me. And just like our president or a police officer or a governor is responsible before God for how they execute that authority, I too am responsible for, before God for how I execute my authority. And what God is saying is this. God has given authority to people over you. God gave mom and dad authority over you. We don't like that word unless you're willing to surrender. God expects Christian kids to honor and obey their parents, verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God promises to bless those kids who obey, who honor their parents. So what's involved here? Well, honor involves respect and obedience. Respect and obedience. And, and honoring God including respecting and obeying your parents. Young people, you are living at a time when the world is encouraging you to dishonor God by dishonoring your parents. Well, I grew up in that world too. I just think it's gotten farther down the road in that direction. When you are encouraged to make important decisions without consulting your parents, you are being encouraged to dishonor your parents. When you are encouraged to keep information from your parents, you are being encouraged to dishonor your parents. Well, I've heard and read of stories of kids who have been encouraged to have an abortion without consulting mom and dad, to identify by a different gender without, without consulting mom and dad. Make no mistake, whether it's a youth pastor or a teacher or government official if, or a friend, if they are encouraging a young person to do something without mom and dad's knowledge and approval, put it down. They're encouraging your kids and mine to dishonor their father and mother and thus also dishonor God who has placed you and I over our children. It's that serious, yes. As I sat and thought through this passage, which I preached on more than one occasion, in fact, this passage was part of my doctoral dissertation, when I began to recognize that when others are encouraging my kids or yours to dishonor their parents, they are encouraging your kids to, number one, dishonor God, and number two, miss out on the blessings that God promises to give them for obeying them, for honoring them. When you and I make a decision that our parents are, okay, they're just, they're, they're a little weird. They're not so smart. They don't know technology. I played a video game with my kid yesterday. I was embarrassing. But you know what? I'm the one that had the money in the first place to buy the thing. Not him. So I don't know video games. I know how to make a living and take care of my family. And as long as he's under my roof, he might smoke me in whatever game it was we were playing. But he can't get by real well without me. He's been placed under my authority, not so I can throw my chest around, but because I'm raising him to know, love, and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are encouraged to view one or both parents as foolish, you are being encouraged to dishonor your parents. Period. God expects Christian fathers to make disciples of their children. Before I even go further, here's the point in which 
you, the temptation is, as a pastor, to fudge over or smooth over or try to qualify everything so as not to offend. But make no mistake, while mom is included in the equation here in verse 4, it is the father that God's word addresses directly. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I understand that we live in a culture where people are of the mind that maybe dad isn't necessary so long as mom is there. Yes, mom have done a heroic job of raising kids without dad, but that, hear me loud and clear, we love moms, single moms or other, but understand something, God's design for the family is still husband and wife together raising the children. That does not, so here's where you want to qualify everything. What about this? What about this? What about this? I understand there's a bunch of whatabouts. What I'm suggesting to you is that the foundational principle is that, and that is the thing towards which we should aim to build our families and our culture. We've decided we don't think that that's the right thing to do. Is it working out well? The answer is it's not. The kids aren't all right. Literally saw a headline, which I decided not to read because I didn't want to come to the pulpit angry, but it said young people are insane and they're destroying our culture. And that was not from a biblical conservative. That was a, a left-wing political pundit said this. I don't know that that's true. That was probably clickbait. But I would simply tell you that we have abandoned God's foundational principles for family and society, and it's not working well. You're watching it play out in front of you. Many parents, many grandparents said, I'm worried about what world our kids are going to grow up in, but the future is now. You're seeing it, and as Christians, we can't look to the world to rebuild the foundation for us. We have to go back to what God has already established. And God has established that fathers are critical. I think Satan would love nothing more for, than for, to see the men of God sit it out. We're going to let mom go in there and fight. We're going to stay home. We're going to go to our man cave. We're going to work extra hours. We're going to do this. Mom will take care of it. Mom knows the kids better than I do. Well, that may be true. It's certainly true in my case that my, my wife knows the kids better than I do. But that doesn't mean I'm sit it, sitting it out. Catch this. It is assumed in this text that the wife is actually partnering with the father in the raising of the children. That would imply that he's taking the lead, not being the passive participant. It, it would imply that she is a support role. It doesn't mean that dad does all the teaching. It, it doesn't mean that there's never, a, we have public school, they had, they had tutors. It doesn't mean that dad never took care of that stuff and hired a tutor or anything like that. Their school system was different. What it does mean is at the end of the day, when it all said and done and the dust settles, dad's the one to res that is responsible. This is a biblical principle that the man is the head of the household. Plain speak. Not sure if that's true. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know who God begins the questioning with? Adam. You know what he does instead of sticking up for his wife or telling her, the, no, don't eat that thing, put it down? He says, she did it. 
but he is the one that's held responsible. And as the, as, as the suffering comes, the judgment comes, she suffers along with him. But the big problem was not that he listened to his wife. Men, hear me loud and clear. The problem was not that he listened to his wife. It was that he listened to his wife's voice when it was going against what God said. And he should have said, honey, you're so cute and I love your food. Please don't poison it. But you're wrong. You know, she might have made him sleep on the couch, but it'd be better than all this. Our culture encourages this, the disagreement between the genders. So much of the things that we kind of go, eh, that's, that's just mild, battle of the sexes. So you have a competition where one's goal is to defeat the other gender. I guess that's okay, but my simple point is God has not made us to be at odds with each other or fighting for authority in the home. There is an order and the husband answers to God himself for how he functions in the home. The father answers. Doesn't mean the wife doesn't have a responsibility. Some of you guys say, well, what about single moms? The closest analogy we have in the Bible is Lois and Eunice. They weren't, that was Timothy's mother and grandmother. Timothy's father was around, but he wasn't a believer. He was a pagan. And, and so what we see is that Paul points out how important and impactful their role was in his life, spiritually. But that is more the exception than the rule. Our culture seems to be making it, flipping it around. The general principle is one man, one woman raising the family, and the father is the one who's held accountable. Ladies, on more than one occasion, I have encouraged young ladies to... Choose wisely who you marry. But my reasoning was different then than it is now. I always said that because once you marry them, you're stuck with them. But now as I've gone on and I've had to raise kids of my own, I realize, yeah, you're stuck with them. But also, if you marry an unbeliever, he's not raising your children to love, honor, and obey God. He might not get in the way, but he's not going to help you. Because he is an unbeliever. You're better off being alone than marrying the wrong person. God's plan is much simpler. About five years ago, six years ago, there was a thing that people said all the time when their relationships were in chaos. It's complicated. Well, guess what? Chrissy and I have a very uncomplicated relationship. It's she and I and the kids. Pretty simple. It doesn't make for a great rock song, but it does make for a lot of happiness and peace in our family. God's principles don't sound good in a song about heartbreak because they're not designed to create heartbreak, but stability. And I am grateful for mom and dad, for Bill and Jeanette Kinoy who provided for that. That for me too. My mom and dad are not perfect people. They're going to be listening later. They're wonderful. They weren't perfect. But they raised us to know, love, and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's involved with this? Let's take a look at the verse. First off, there's a negative command. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't exasperate them. How do you do that? Well, harsh criticism. Unrealistic expectations. Neglect. 
failing to give them time, the teaching they need, and love. As I thought this through, I, I, I had a friend that I, I don't, we had a lot of time together, but I remember a few conversations we had, which as I thought about this 30 years later, I, I'm like, I can't believe I still remember these conversations. He didn't have much of a relationship with his dad. I'm not saying his dad didn't love him, his dad just didn't show it. Okay? And I remember him telling me once that what I need to know about being a man, here's where he learned it, from the man who owned the comic book shop. And he said, what I don't learn from them, I learn from Guns N' Roses and Metallica. I didn't know what to say. And then when his mom and dad got, got a divorce, I remember him telling me that his dad came to talk to him and said, you know, trying to have a talk with him. He said, I know we've not had much of a relationship. And my friend told me with a little bit of pride that he got up and walked away and said, it's a little bit late to start now. I wonder if my friend regretted that conversation. He was just a kid at the time. I wonder if my friend's dad regrets what he did not do all those, all those years. He wasn't there to teach him or love him. And it put mom in the place of him, trying to do his job for him. And that's where a lot of moms find themselves, in the church too trying to raise their children without the input of their father. And I get it. A lot of guys are saying, I don't know the Bible well enough, and my wife's the one who's really spiritual. Fair enough. Fix it. God's already given you the owner's manual. If you wanted to fix your car, you'd bust out the owner's manual. This is far more important than your car. Yes, men, I'm calling out you guys. You and I are all called to execute our duties before God. And I want to qualify it, but there, you guys are all men, so I can talk to you like this. This is what we're called to do. Sometimes we do the right thing and our kids choose the wrong way, but let it not be because I didn't try. I remember sitting across the desk from a, a, a mom who her kid had just been put in, put in jail. He's 18, and she was bawling. And she shared with me once that she was praying about this. I tried to do the right thing, and my kids turned out, this one, one of her three kids turned out really, well, there's hope for him because he's not dead yet, but it doesn't look promising so far. She said, the Lord spoke to her and said, I'm the perfect father, and my kids have all gone astray. So I get that. But negative command, don't exasperate your children by being overly harsh and critical and failing to teach them. Then there's the positive commands. Bring them up. That means to provide them what they need to grow physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Men, that doesn't mean you do all the cleaning, cooking, teaching, or anything like that. It means that the bottom line is that you and I sense there's a responsibility, and if it's not getting done, it falls on us. Discipline. To provide instruction in godly behavior and appropriate correction. Yes, that might involve spanking. At times, I've gotten... Thankfully, we don't have this conversation anymore, but I remember more than one occasion looking at Christy and going, I'm tired of spanking them today. Any parent ever get there? It's like diamonds, time and pressure. I'm tired of spanking them, tired of grounding them, tired of taking their privileges away, but ultimately, appropriate correction is called for and 
providing instruction in godly behavior. That's what discipline is. Instruction, similar but slightly different. Instruction is providing counsel about avoiding or ceasing an improper, improper course of action. Providing counsel about avoiding or ceasing an improper course of action. Synonyms, admonish, warn. So provide counsel about, it, about an inappropriate course of action. Tell them, hey, don't do this. Don't date unbelievers. You are a man. Act, you know, dress appropriately. You are a woman. There's an expectation here about, about modesty, eh? trying to avoid opinions. But dad, you probably know better than mom does what a teenage boy would want to see your daughter wearing. Mom, maybe listen to him. He knows better than, than you do what a boy hopes to see at school. Guys, am I wrong? I have said occasionally, when I see gals walking down the street, that if I was a seventh grader, that was what I would demand that girls wear. And they choose it willingly. Probably somebody needs to say something to them. I don't want to write out a list of here's what's modest and here's what's immodest. That's not my, my thing. But your dad, dad probably knows what a boy wants to see the girl wear. I remember hearing a story that I understand is true about a girl who was a teenager coming, down, coming out, of the, out of her room, going down the stairs past her dad, and she had a bag with her, but she was dressed yeah, like a prostitute. Wanted to see if dad would say something. She said nothing. He said nothing to her. She walked out, got in the car where her friend was driving, and she started crying, and then she pulled on bigger baggy clothes over. Kids sometimes fight you on instruction, but I think secretly in most cases they crave it. Providing counsel with about avoiding or ceasing an improper course of action. Ceasing is also important. When you see your kids doing that which they ought not to do, you got to tell them, don't do that. That's wrong. That's unethical. That's sinful. That's going to get you in trouble. Hanging out with those kids, I know you love them. They're fun and funny, but they're going to get you in trouble. You need to tell your kids this stuff. When you see your child doing the wrong thing, Dad... You need to speak up. You need to speak up. Part of being a Christian is making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I saw a great quote yesterday from a guy named Vody Bauckham. If you want to see it later, it's on my Facebook page. He said, your kids are not missionaries. They are the mission field. I've read his books and heard him talk. I know what he's speaking about. We are responsible for making disciples of our children. Part of being a Christian is making disciples, and part of being a Christian parent is making disciples of our children. Part, part of being a Christian is making disciples of our children. How would you do that? Well, uh, do you know the ABCs of salvation? That's a good start. Admit that you're a sinner, believe Jesus Christ, die on the cross for your sins and rose again, and if you want to repent and be saved, why? Confess that you believe and turn from your sins. 
ABCs. Can you tell your kid how you got saved? Well, yeah, I was, in my case, I was, I was raised in a Christian home, but then I realized that being raised in a Christian home didn't mean that I actually was saved because I was a sinner. I, I, I lied. A lot. And then I had this moment because I'd been uh, hearing the gospel taught in vacation Bible school, and I came to my dad and I told him that I was a sinner, and he led, he led me to the Lord. He led me to the Lord. My dad's a man of few words, but he also set a standard in our home. I have came to the realization years ago that my dad, while he never went to Bible college, he set the example for me. I used to always see him sitting there in the family room or the living room, whatever. I get the rooms mixed up, whatever the names are. In front of this big Fisher stereo with the speakers that are like three feet tall, and he's got his little spiral notebook, and he's listening to Charles Stanley taking notes. That was his Bible college. I think he set a standard that I followed, and I'm still following. In my home, it wasn't an option to not go to church. And we fought him on it. Parents, I fought my parents on that too. Philippians 3.17 also gives us this. This is Paul talking another way about disciple making. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. What Paul is saying, look, follow our example. And if I'm not there, find other people who are following Christ well and follow their example. Parents, that's pretty good example for us in our disciple making. As a guy who's been involved with youth ministry for 19 years, I've worked four years, two of them in a psych hospital for teens and two years in a juvenile type of detention facility. And having earned a doctorate in family ministry on this specific, specific topic, I've had a lot of time to think about kids that I've served, uh, what kind of adults they became. You know, some of them I realized, oh my goodness, they're 30, in their 30s and they've got kids. It makes you feel old. But I had time to reflect. And I'm trying to be sparing in stories because we could be here for hours. One thing I would say about my dad was he'd never claimed to be perfect, and nor would my mom, but he was the head of our household, including in spiritual matters. My mom was a worshiper, studied her Bible, but it's my dad. And when I thought of students along the way, I remember one kid, he went on a mission trip with us to El Salvador. He was there every time the church doors were open. But I also remember as soon as he got out of the house, it seemed like when it came to the things of God, he was gone. One story he told me, this is, it stuck with me. Sometimes stories stick with you. He said, church is like a suit for my dad. He takes it out on Sunday and leaves it in the closet the rest of the week. Men, that can't be what we are. Being a Christian is not just showing up on Sunday. It includes how we live. Because we want to set a standard that our kids will imitate going forward. How do we land the plane? Children, God has given your parents authority over you. Parents, 
God expects us to raise our children to know, love, and obey him. Grandparents, as long as you've got breath in you, you have a role in that. And I've been around long enough to see that sometimes grandparents are stepping in, a lot of times doing what mom and dad used to do. We praise God for you. And we thank God and pray that he'll be gracious to you. Psalm 78 talks about this very thing that it's grandparents and parents looking at the future and hoping that the next generation would know, love, and follow the Lord. So parents and grandparents, but it's parents specifically and fathers in particular, God expects us to raise our children to know, love, and obey him. Raising godly children is at the foundation of the family and society. For years, I heard people complaining, I guess, about school teachers, and the reality was God never intended the school teacher to replace you. And while that's true, I do sense that maybe there's a pull away, pull away, a pulling away of kids on purpose, not necessarily just in the, not just the schools but just in our culture in general. And I'm not interested in blasting the culture around us. This is our book, not the unbelievers' book. And so while we choose where we'd send our kids to school, we choose what programs we let them watch, what is not free for us to choose is whether or not we will be the primary disciple makers of our children. That job has been established for us. As it has been, so shall it be. I hope that in these four weeks, at times you heard things that were hard to hear. Because like last week, you heard probably the word sex more times in one sermon and than you had the entire five years previously at church. I get it. It's awkward to hear it. And it was awkward to stand up here and say it. But I intended to be plain spoken and not qualify everything because you can kill every truth statement by killing with a death of a thousand cuts. One man, one woman. There's only two genders. Sex is to be between one man and one woman in the bonds of matrimony. And from this, children are to be born, and Christian parents are to raise their children to know, love, and follow the Lord. There is no one else that can replace you. You are the primary disciple makers. The youth and children's ministry, we have a support role in a similar way that a school does. This is what God's called us to do, and this is what we're going to pray for as we transition to Lord's Supper time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. We see that more often than not, no, always in the church, when we stand on your principles, things tend to go well. When we decide to abandon them and create our own standards, it brings ruin. We see this theme consistently. I pray for those here today that if they're young and still under the authority of their parent, that they would understand that God has called them to honor and obey their parents. I pray for us as parents that we would take up our responsibilities, fathers in particular, Pray for our children that they would grow to know, love, and honor you. 
And I pray for anybody listening. Lord, my goal and my heart was not to step on toes. It's not my aim. I pray that they would recognize and value your design for family and celebrate those things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.